God is good. All the time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ we are free from sorrow. We are free from sin. We thank you, Lord, that you forgive us not only the penalty of sin, but you free us from the power of sin so that we may live for you. And as your grateful people today, Lord, we would not forget even one of your benefits, all the blessings you have poured into our lives. So help us today, I pray, to remember and to give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. At the high point of Rudyard Kipling's popularity, um, it was estimated that each word he had in print had earned him $100. That may not sound like a lot of money to us, but think about all the words that he wrote, and then think about what $100 was at that time. And a reporter interviewed him and said, I understand that every word you write is worth $100. And Rudyard Kipling said, well, I hadn't heard that. And he said, well, listen, the reporter pulled out a $100 bill, and he said, listen, I've got $100 for you, and all I'm asking for, sarcastically, he said, if you just give me one word, just give me one word, a word that's worth $100. And Kipling took the $100 bill, he folded it up, put it in his pocket, and said, thanks. (laughs) Well, (laughs) thanks is worth $100 and more, and how do we estimate the value of David's words, this treasury of David, these psalms that we are studying, these songs of our soul And we look especially at the 103rd Psalm, and he gives us at least six reasons in these first five verses to give thanks to God. Somebody's counted 18 in the whole Psalm. We're not going to do an 18-week series. In fact, I'm going to do the last three this morning. But I want you to see the reasons we have to be grateful to God. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5, then sings my soul. 103, verse 1, we begin next week in Colossians chapter 1. We'll be in Colossians for Advent uh, as we prepare for the Christmas season. This morning, Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You may be seated. Eric Huff has said, um, the hardest arithmetic is the arithmetic of counting your blessings. David is exceptional at that. Remember, he is praising God with his whole soul, and he's able to do that because God is the one who has made his soul whole. And so he recounts the blessings that God has given him, and he says, you are the God who forgives all my sins. You're the God who heals all my diseases. You are the God who redeems my life from the pit. We've looked at those three thoughts the last three weeks. And then he says, you are the one who crowns me with love and compassion. You're the one who satisfies my desires with good things. You are the one 
who renews my youth like the eagles. No wonder David was so grateful. At this point in his life, he's looking back and he's giving thanks for all that God has done for him. And you see in David's life a remarkable sense of contentment. This is the product of, of gratitude, or maybe gratitude is the product of contentment. But he has come to the place where he realizes all that God has done for him. And he is satisfied in that. And he finds great joy just in relationship with God. We will never worship God with our whole souls until our souls are made whole by the grace of God. And when God does that for us, we will discover not only forgiveness of sin, not only His healing of our souls, not only redemption, but that He crowns us with love and with compassion, that He satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And when we understand what God has done for us, we will be content in Him because there is only one who can satisfy the needs and desires of our souls. It is no thing in this world. It is God and God alone who satisfies our souls. So to God and God alone be all the glory for the things He has done. What exactly has He done? Well, He says God is the one who um, crowns your life with love and compassion. David knew what it was like to be crowned. In fact, I studied again this week and saw that three times David was anointed as king. First, when he was a, a young shepherd in Bethlehem, he was selected out of all his brothers by Samuel. You remember that story in 1 Samuel 16. And God chooses him not on the basis of his outward appearance because God looks on his heart. And then there's that moment after running for all those years from Saul when Saul is, is gone and, and there's a moment when David is anointed at Hebron as the king of the southern part of Israel. We would say Judah. And then seven and a half years later, after a, a long period of time, all of Israel embraces David as their king. And David might take us into uh, a special room within his palace and show us his crowns. And he might say, this is the crown I wore when I was at Hebron as king over Judah. And then this is the crown I wore when I was king over all of Israel and Judah. And then he might have the crowns of all the kings that he conquered through all of those battles kings of Gath and Gaza and different places. But then, if you came to him and said, David, which crown is your favorite? Some of you have been to the Tower of London and seen all the different crowns available to the Queen of England. Which one is your favorite? David would say, well, it's not any of these. The crown that I love the most is the crown of God's love and compassion poured out in my life. David knew what it was to sin and he knew what it was like to be forgiven. He knew what it was like to be sick and he knew what it was like to be healed. He knew what it was like to be sinking in a pit and he knew what it was like to be lifted out of that pit. He knew what it was like to be crowned with God's love and with compassion. David doesn't crown himself. Uh, Augustine said, be careful that your head doesn't outgrow your crown. David doesn't have that problem. He's not talking about David here. He's talking about the God who has crowned him. And God has crowned him with great love and with great compassion. And there is a, a wonderful moment of contentment when we realize God has given me unmerited favor, His grace. God has not given me what I deserved in terms of punishment. He's given me his mercy. Max Licato tells about his uh, daughters who went off to college and, and uh, the middle daughter continued to uh, 
overdraw her account. And every time, you know, $35 penalty for that. And, and he had talked with her about it. And he got another notice. And you can check on the computer these days and find out where they are with that. And his daughter was overdrawn $25.37 plus the overdraft fee of $35 and every other check she had written or time she'd used the ATM. And he was just sitting there thinking about this. And he thought, what do I do? You know, do I write her an email and say, hey, put some money in your account. But then he said, I know that her liquidity is zero. The reason she doesn't have any money in her account because she didn't have any money. She has spent it all. He said, I could could give her a call and say, you know, haven't we talked about this? Or he said, I could take the $25.37 out of my account and put it into her account. He, he said, I did what a good father does. I moved the money and the overdraft money. And then later in the day, she called me and she said, Dad, I've got a problem. And he said, what is the problem? And she said, well, I've overdrawn my account again. And he said, yes, well, what's, what's the plan? And she said, well, Dad, could you? He said, honey, I already have. I've already put the money in your account. And Lakato says, God has put an enormous, an enormous uh, a deposit in the account of our souls so that if we say to him, Lord, I know what I've done and I need your grace. I know what I've done and I need your mercy. He says, I've already given it to you. It's already there. Before you asked, I have already given you everything you need. This is the grace and mercy of God. David says, God crowns me with love and with compassion. It's his love that crowns us and it's his love that fills our lives and makes them full so that we are content. So that if we, if we just know that we are loved by God, for us, that is enough just to know that he cares about us. I don't know if you saw this week, but they released the, the list of the best new words of 2009. You know what the best word of 2009 was? Best new word? Anybody know? Unfriend. Somebody said, that's right, unfriend. And we look at what is that? Well, that's from that social networking, Facebook. Some of you are on Facebook. And uh, you can friend to somebody or you can unfriend somebody. And you unfriend someone when you're mad at them or upset with them about something The good news, David says, is not once in all the times that I've unfriended God did he ever unfriend me. He loves me with a lasting, the word is chesed, it is an unconditional love. It's not based on what David has done, it's not based on how he's lived that day, it's based upon the goodness and grace and mercy of God. He says, I've been crowned with that, and once we've been crowned with that kind of love, we want to share the crown. We want to give a crown to somebody else, the crown of love and compassion, not only our children and our friends, but even the New Testament suggests our enemies. In fact, uh, W.H. Auden has said, we must love one another or die. <laughs> Those are our choices. We either love each other or something inside us dies. He not only crowns us, but he says he satisfies us. He satisfies our longings, our desires with good things. I want you to hear what the ESV says. It's very important. The English Standard Version says, you have satisfied my desires with good. Not just with things, but with good itself. And who is good except God? And the first gift that God gives to us when we become followers of Christ, God gives us Himself. He gives us relationship with Himself. And until you and I find contentment in relationship with God, we will never be content with anything that this world has to offer. Pleasure will not satisfy the desires of our souls. Food will not, drink will not, clothes will not. 
Jesus, after saying, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. What did he say in Matthew 6, 33? Seek first the kingdom of God. Let let God be king over your life. And when God is king over your life, your king is able to provide all of your needs. But until you make Jesus your king, you will forever be longing for things that you don't have. And let me just ask, I won't even take a poll, but... When you get that one thing that you've always wanted, that material object or that relationship or, or that something that you think you must have, don't you find when you have it that it's not what you thought it would be? Why is that? Why can't we be satisfied? Why do we tyrannically, as Oswald Chambers says, subject our loved ones to a sense of uh, expectation that's beyond their ability to fulfill? And so we look at our loved ones and our relationships and we try to make them give to us what God alone can give. This is the source of a great deal of discontentment in marriage, in relationships between parents and children. We're expecting that person to do for us what God alone can do. Jonathan Edwards said, the only way our souls will ever rejoice is when we find fulfillment in God alone. People are the shadows, but God is the substance, he said. People are the beams, but God is the sun. People are the streams, but God is the fountain. And people are drops, but God is the ocean. God alone. Who can satisfy my soul like you? Dennis Jernigan sings. Who could ever comfort me and love me like you do? Who could ever be more faithful, true? I will trust in you. I will trust in you, my God. There is a fountain who is a king, victorious warrior, Lord of everything, my rock, my shelter, my very own blessed Messiah who reigns upon the throne. When Jesus Christ reigns upon the throne, listen to what he says, then he fills our lives with good things. And it's not hard for God to give us good things because God is good. He's good all of the time. And he gives to us Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 to 11 say, ask, seek, knock. Why? Because God wants to give even more than we as parents want to give gifts to our children. How much more will our heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him And what does James chapter 1 verse 17 say? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. Our faithful God. So if we're thirsty, if we're searching, if we're restless, what did Augustine say? God, you have made us for yourself and we are restless until we find rest in you. Anybody here honest enough to admit that your soul is restless, searching for something you don't even know what it is? Can I just tell you, listen to Jesus who said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And what will I give you? Rest for your souls. And our souls never find rest until they are anchored in the harbor of God's grace. We are satisfied with him or we will never be satisfied. And he says, when we find that satisfaction, then the third blessing is That our youth is renewed like the eagles. God renews the youth of our souls. This is a precious promise that God gives to us. Our bodies are going to age. But our souls don't have to. I know there's an expression in our culture that's sort of in vogue right now. Have you heard this? He's an old soul. 
She's an old soul. I asked Melanie, where does that come from? She said, I don't know. And she was honest about it. And so I, I looked on the internet and I was searching for it. And I found that it's really an expression that's rooted in reincarnation. That soul's been around for a while. It's been in a lot of different bodies. Now it's in this body. And that body has an old soul. Can I just say something? You are not a body. You are a soul. And your soul didn't ever live in any other body. Just read the scriptures. Your soul never lived in any other body. But your soul will live in another body someday in heaven when God gives you a new body. But in the meantime, even while our bodies grow older, God is restoring, renewing our souls day by day. Paul said, though this outer man is wasting away inwardly, what am I doing? I'm being renewed, he wrote to the Corinthians. I'm being renewed every day. What's being renewed? Our souls. Has there ever been a generation that was more obsessed with the fountain of youth than this generation? I mean, it's amazing to me. You know, in 50s, the new 30, and 70s, the new 50, and I guess 90s, the new 70, would you say? I don't know. I was just talking with a couple of 90 year olds. It's a funny thing to be able to say, I spoke with a couple of 90 year olds in the last week and a half. Now, my, my great grandparents couldn't have talked about all the 90 year olds they talked to, but I talked to 90 year olds with some frequency. And uh, I spoke with a 90-year-old a couple weeks ago. She was up in the hospital, and I went up to see her. She's a good friend of mine, and I prayed with her, and she was, she was not well, and she had a lot of medication, and, and when I finished praying, she said, now, who are you? And I said, I'm Dwayne Brooks. She said, no, you are not. I said, but I am Dwayne Brooks, and I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm the pastor of Tallowood. She said, Dwayne, she reached for my face. You've gotten old, she said. How old are you when a 92-year-old thinks you're old? She, she went on to clarify. She said, you're not old like me, but you're getting older. She said, you were so young when you came. I said, yes, I was. Then last Sunday, remember Carl Hunker who did our benediction last week in Chinese and English? This wonderful saint of God who's a pastor of a church in Kansas City at the age of 93. He's a pastor of a church in Kansas City, of a Chinese-speaking church up there. And he was, he was walking off the platform after the service, and I ran to catch him. It wasn't real hard to catch him, but I caught him right over there about the corner. And I, I said, Carl, thank you for leading us in worship today. Thank you. And he said, why, you are a young man. Yes, I said. <laughs> Thank you. He said, how old are you? I said, I'm 47. He said, I'm almost twice as old as you and still serving the Lord. It is possible, you have shown me, it is possible to age gracefully. It is also possible to age ungracefully. And I want to age gracefully. And I know people whose bodies have many complaints, but whose souls are eternally young who are being renewed every day, who are making greater contributions to the kingdom of God today than they were 40 years ago because of their faithfulness in prayer, because of their connection with God. And I am grateful for these friendships that give me strength. And what he says is God renews your youth like the eagles. What's the deal with the eagle? How, how old does an eagle live to? Well, there are lots of legends about eagles. They live about 20 to 30 years in the wild, about 40 years in captivity, they're a little better taken care of perhaps in captivity. They live a little bit longer. But the image, I think, is of the eagle molting, you know, and every year shedding its feathers and new feathers growing. And what did Paul say? If any person is in Christ, that person is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. All things have become new. To use an image from mythology like the the phoenix that rises. It's just a myth. But the phoenix rises from the ashes. But our hope is better than that because our Savior rose from the dead. And this is our promise that the one who rose from the dead is giving life to our mortal bodies and renewing our spirits every day so that even though we're going to grow old, our our spirits don't have to grow old. I think about that 95-year-old evangelist who announced to his 70-year-old children, I'm going on a world tour of evangelism. And they were worried about him. He said, you know, we really wish you wouldn't do that. And he said, well, why not? And they said, well, something might happen. And he thought about it and he said, you know what, I've been, I've been very selfish. You're right. While I was gone, something might happen to one of you and I would have missed it. Okay, I won't go. Isn't he thoughtful? Well, I just want to say to you, God is the one who makes us new. And we are young enough to do everything that He wants us to do. But what can be done, Keith Green saying, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. And tonight as we gather in the chapel and we study from the book of Numbers and we come singing to the Lord's table, we will give thanks to the God who has satisfied all of our desires with His goodness, who renews our souls day by day. And we will say thanks. And that gratitude to God will be worth more than $100. It will be priceless. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this worship. Thank you for the songs we have sung. Thank you for our choir. Thank you for our instrumentalists, Lord, for the orchestra, for Alan, for the chance to sing with our mouths. And Lord, yes, to sing with our souls and to say, Lord, we've been forgiven, we've been healed. We've been redeemed and we are satisfied with your love in Jesus' name. Amen.